This episode was partially recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri Willem and Boonarong peoples of the Kulin Nation. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Definitely Baby, a podcast that shares parents' unique stories of their transitions into the world of parenthood and the profound identity and relationship changes that accompany it. I'm your host, Chelsea, and I hope this podcast is a supportive, comforting, and inspiring resource for you, no matter where you are on your parenting journey. Let's muddle through the ups and downs of parenthood together and find solace in the knowledge that we're not alone. Every parenting journey is full of surprises, but if you can count on one thing, it's definitely baby. Hello everyone, hope you're having a great day so far wherever you are listening from. In today's episode of the show, we are joined by Stacy. So Stacy and her husband Craig are parents to their three-year-old son Michael. We get to hear about Stacy's experience of having a baby in Norway during the COVID pandemic. She speaks about an early pregnancy loss she had before they conceived Michael, so I'll include a little trigger warning there. Uh, We speak about that near the start of the episode. Uh, She also speaks about her experience with hyperemesis, which caused a lot of challenges in her pregnancy. She also had a 12 centimeter tumor or fibroma in her uterus, which meant that she was going to require having a cesarean birth. But then three weeks before she was due, the doctors had said she could try to have a vaginal birth if she wanted, which she didn't end up having in the end. We speak about how the COVID pandemic restrictions impacted her parenting journey. So her husband experienced some anxiety. She had a toddler who uh, got COVID himself and he had he was asthmatic and had a few other um, allergies and things as well. Moving countries with a toddler. Stacey is also legally blind. So we get to hear about her experience with parenting there. It's a beautiful episode. I hope that you enjoy listening to it and let's get into it now. Here's the lovely Stacy. now. Hi Stacy. thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really nice to have you on. Could you start by introducing yourself and telling everyone a little bit about your family? Sure, so uh, my name is Stacy, and I'm originally from uh, well, I was born in India, actually, and I moved to New Zealand when I was young, grew up there, went to school, and um, after I finished university, I moved to Norway um, to do a postdoc, and uh, while I was there, I got married, not to a Norwegian, to a Canadian, <laughs> and um, yeah, we, so I have my husband, um, and he, um, I have, we have a son, Michael, who just turned too. My husband's name's Craig, and um, after we were in Norway for seven years, we moved to Boston for half a year, and then we wanted to be closer to family, um, so we moved to his hometown, which is Sydney, but Sydney, Canada, not Sydney, Australia. <laughs> yes, so no confusion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a small town in Cape Breton Island, which is on the east coast of Canada, and yeah, um, yeah it's a beautiful little town, so it's just... Um, me and my husband and my son here and we have his family really close by so his mom and dad and his sisters and 
Uh, my family is still in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that about covers our immediate family. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. So nice to have some part of your family, your, well, your husband's family, living close by. Yeah. 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 Ah, gorgeous. Yeah. And can you give us a brief summary of your pregnancy and your birth with Michael? Sure. So I guess I should say I wasn't really ready to have a baby. Okay. Um, I didn't want, I never, I never wanted to from that, from, well, ever since I can remember more, not that I didn't want to, but I was afraid to have kids. I was Mm. afraid from, of the whole process, like from birth to like taking care of a child and mm-hmm. I think part of it was just it I don't know it's strange because I'm a biologist but I still kind of think wow so many things can go wrong and um, I'm also legally blind so oh, okay. um, I don't drive and I was thinking like what you know what else could go wrong uh, so I was very sort of reluctant but I knew my husband loved kids and he you know really really wanted to have kids and um, and I wanted to do and I wanted to get over this fear um, so I talked to my mom about it and, um, but I just still wanted to be married and because we can, we had, we were in a long, ter- a long distance relationship and, um, after we got married was like the first time we lived in the same city and lived together in the same house. So I just wanted to get used to that. Um, but I found out that I had this, um, it's called a myoma or I guess fibroma, some people call it. And okay, yeah, it's yeah. like a growth in your uterus. Um, so it's a benign tumor is what I'm told. And they said they have to remove it because it's growing. Mm-hmm. And so if I wanted to have kids, now was the time. Okay. How um, did you find out that you had that? Did you have symptoms? Um, yes, I had. Um, so from the time I was, I think, 12 or 13, I had really bad cramps during my period. And I didn't know what it was really. And every time I went to the doctor, they would just say, you know, take a Panadol take naproxen you know you just you know it's just how it is with women you have periods and you have cramps and it's gonna hurt sometimes but it was really bad like I couldn't go to school that day I couldn't go to university um I used to take a lot of paracetamol or naproxen but m- almost every time I would throw up on my first mm. day it was that bad mm. um couldn't keep any food down the whole day so I was just on the medication the whole day and then hope that I would just pass out um and then it just got kind of worse and worse. And one time I was at university and I was in the lab and doing some work. And I just, it, the pain got so bad I had to run to the bathroom wow. and throw up. And I said, I have to go see the doctor again. So I went and they said, you know, well, you have this um, myoma growing. And it, they, they first checked it and they checked it again. So it looks like it's growing. So we have to remove it. Um and that's yeah that's basically how I found out and and then I thought well if I want to have kids then I have to do it now so it was kind of like Mm. um yeah I think I was mentally not prepared but also I didn't want to miss out on the chance to have a child so um yeah and and when we started to try um the first pregnancy um I had a miscarriage after two months it was at 12 weeks but it was a missed miscarriage Mm. um so I think it had they they found they said oh the heartbeat had stopped a few days ago but Mm. um it just hadn't gone through the process so they had to induce me and uh that was traumatic because they had I don't I don't know if you want me to talk about it but yeah yeah um they had to give me like 
these tablets to induce me and it wasn't working and they said well the maximum we can give you is 10 before we have to go in surgically and on the 10th one is when it finally worked but you know and I, I remember asking the doctor at the time and I was in Norway and I said you know is it gonna hurt and she said yes and she was just very blunt and honest about it she just said yes the nurses were you know super nice and they helped me a lot my husband was super supportive as well um but it I, I guess you hear about it a lot, but you never think it's something that's going to happen to you. And then when it does happen to you, so many other people approach you if you're open about it um, and say, oh, it happened to me too. And it was, you know, it was difficult. And I couldn't tell anybody and we don't talk about this enough. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And the other thing that was a little bit hard was that my mom, she was so excited. It was her first grandchild and we had really only told our parents and uh she booked her ticket to fly from New Zealand to Norway so that she could mm. be there for the birth oh, and okay. uh she'd already booked and everything and so you know she was devastated because you know a form for me and also um I was um I was I was sad obviously but um when the second I got pregnant again and so that was I I think three or four months later so she decided to come anyway um, and she decided to come when um, I was due the first time so that was in December so she came and she didn't bring any baby stuff with her and I remember she had like a lot of baby stuff so I didn't I didn't buy any baby stuff or prepare because I was like she's it's her first <laughs> grandchild she's super excited she's all over it. Yeah. Do, yeah I'll just let her do everything and, um, and then she didn't bring the baby stuff with her because she thought like this is her second pregnancy you know what if something happens and I could see it from her point of view but when she came I was like oh my gosh why didn't you bring anything oh, no. I, didn't, I didn't like do any shopping and yeah. she was like oh don't worry I'll you know I'm gonna come back you know when you give birth so I'll bring it then and I was due in um April 2020 <laughs> so the pandemic oh. hit Gosh. <laughs> and I said well you know I, I remember saying to her at the time you know what was what if something happens and you can't come and she's like oh what could happen I'm definitely coming <laughs> <laughs> just a little thing called COVID <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. so that kind of magnified everything because um I was already scared and now it's like okay I'm gonna have to do this without my mom who mm. like she was my biggest supporter and we're so close and I also had this little thing called hyperemesis gravidarum. Oh. I don't know if you know what it yeah, is. Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So I found that out when I was nine weeks because I hadn't been able to keep any food down mm. or use the bathroom for a week and I had lost wow. five kilos. Oh my God, in a week. In a week. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so they took me to the hospital and um, put me on a on a... I think there's like IV and drip and tried all these kind of medications. And then I was diagnosed with hyperemesis. Mm. Um, and basically they said, yeah, you're just going to be nauseous the whole time. And um, we're going to try different medications to help you keep some food down. Yeah. So we eventually figured out um, a medication that could help. At least we're keeping some food down, but it didn't take away the nausea really. Um, so I remember for three months I only ate or I was only able to keep down 
egg salad sandwiches and strawberries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds allergic to both eggs and strawberries now. I don't know if that's a coincidence. Oh, weird. But yeah, so I was basically not able to go to work. Uh, I work in a lab with a lot of chemicals and it's uh, cancer research. So it's a lot of drugs and things. So, um, and it was fine because it was the pandemic and most people were working from home. Mm. Um, but luckily I was in Norway. So I was able to get, you know, eight months of sick leave and be home and just rest because I couldn't really do much. I couldn't watch TV or go for a walk because I couldn't open the fridge because if I opened the fridge, it would just trigger the nausea and I would just have to run to the bathroom. So um, eventually I found, um, I discovered crochet. It was the safest thing to do. (laughs) I just like focus my mind on something else. Don't think about food. Um, And yeah, that kept me going. And my husband was... um, looking after me really well um, making sure he would he would try sometimes to make special meals for me and you know like lay at the dining table really nice and stuff and I'd come out and I'd be like run to the bathroom um so um yeah but that was my pregnancy basically I did not expect it to be that way I thought I'd be one of those people who were like all of the people I knew who I worked with um I think almost everyone in my lab group had kids or um, was pregnant at some point and they worked through their whole pregnancy and it was super energetic and just glowing <laughs> and I was just sick all the time. If I had to go to meetings, I would like go mm. in with my little bottle of Sprite because I couldn't drink oh, anything wow. flat and I just didn't enjoy it, to be honest, not much at all. Um, yeah. I started to enjoy it a little bit when I felt my son kicking and things. But the moment I delivered him, the nausea was gone. <laughs> really? Yeah. Instantaneously. Yeah. And like, it was so weird. Like yeah. the moment I delivered him. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and they told me that um, also because of the myoma. So what happened was the myoma was three centimeters in diameter. Okay, that's quite big, it grew, yeah. It grew to five. So that's when yeah. they found that it was growing. And then during my pregnancy, it grew to 12 centimeters. Oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so um, I think in my first trimester, yeah, was when they said to me, you know, you're definitely going to have a C-section because this is, this is a tumor that's going to grow with your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be hard for you to push and, you know, have a normal delivery and your labor pains are going to hurt more. And I was like, wonderful. Like it's mm-hmm. one piece of good news after the other. Oh and um, I thought, okay, well, that's – I, I – I remember going to the bathroom and just crying because I was like, um, okay, um, I'm going to be sliced open. And I know a lot of people are, you know, of course, so many women have C-sections, but I don't know why when I, when it was, I was told it was me, I was like, oh no. (laughs) And, um, I, but I had lots of time to kind of prepare myself for it because they told me in the first trimester. But um, three months before my due date, the three months before the scheduled C-section, they said, oh, the myoma's moved. So I think you can give birth vaginally and we're going to give that a try first. I was like, okay, um, now I'm going to prepare myself to give birth. You know, that's not a C-section. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, you know, they prepared me for it and you know, midwives and things I met with. And they said, you know, it, your contractions are going to hurt, but... You're gonna you're gonna call us when they're this far apart, and we're gonna get you in. Um, 
and so I, I did what I was supposed to do. I called and they were like, no, you can't come in. And Because um, they weren't further enough. Uh, they Yeah. And I think the midwife on call that day, mm-hmm. they, they were just not, for some reason, um, they, they didn't think that I was, they thought like, oh, she's having her first kid. You mm-hmm. know, she doesn't know what's going on. She's going to be really gonna be long. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And they were right. It was really long, but it was painful. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 48 hours. Um, wow. Before, do you know uh, what his I, um position was? Was he anterior or posterior? Um, no, I think his position was just normal. It was fine. It okay. was yeah. his head was down and everything, but he was just um, it was just I think because it was a myoma, which is a tumor of the muscle layer of the right. uterus, that mm. when it contracted, it just was a little more painful. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think. When it was time to give birth, they got me in. They, I got an epidural, which was great because I was really exhausted after those 48 hours. And then um, they gave me, um, I think, oxytocin as well. And they put, they had to put a electrode on my son's head. I don't know if many people have this, but um, mm. that's what they had to do. And so they had to keep going in there and doing that. And it was painful. And um, it kept coming off. So like all these people that were training kept having to redo it Mm. and then finally they said okay it's fine um but somehow while I was giving birth they were like oh you're bleeding you're bleeding too much um we might Mm. have to go in and have a c-section we don't know sure where the blood is coming from and it turned out it was the wire from the electrode on my son's head that had cut me (laughs) and then at one point when after they gave me the oxytocin his heart rate went really high and no one was in the room they said they were going to monitor him from the outside and my husband was with me so he hit the emergency button because he saw the lights flashing on the monitor and then they came rushing in and flipped me over and tried to get it back to normal so the, the whole process was a little traumatic at least for me but I felt like at the end I think it was 70 minutes of trying to get him out. And then they said, we're going to call the surgeons and have them come down and maybe just, you know, do a C-section to be safe. But I was like, no, I can feel him. Like he's coming out and mm. I'm not going to like now have to heal. Like it's going to be double the healing because, mm. you know, he's going to cut me open. So I just, yeah. 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 I just was like, let's just get through it and push you out and, um, yeah, and that was in the middle of the pandemic. So a lot of times the hospital wasn't sure how to deal with that. They, they were still getting used to the, the whole pandemic. Like we were all wearing masks and um, they said my husband was actually not allowed in the delivery room. So n- <gasps> nobody in Norway, or at least, yeah, in Bergen too, um, where we lived, was there, everyone I knew, people who were pregnant at the same time as me. So I had two friends who were pregnant at the same time as me from work and they gave birth alone. Um, but because of my blindness, I asked for an exception. I said, I am going to find it hard enough being legally blind and I'm going to have this child. Mm, um, I need my husband with me. So they made an exception for him and thank God they did because mm. I needed him there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he was out and we thought, okay, it's done. It's fine. He's healthy. And then the next day they were like, you know, they said, you know, we're, 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 we're hearing something abnormal in his heartbeat. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then um, I, I think I skipped this part, but when I had my 21 week scan, um, there was a suspicion that my son might have Down syndrome. Okay. So they wanted to do a blood test and, you know, and then they said, okay, well, the blood test also shows that there's a pretty good risk that he has Down syndrome. And we'd like to do a DNA test too. Um, and the blood test measures two things in your blood, like two chemicals. And one of them is nat is what is naturally super high when you have hyperemesis, HCG. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, if this is what they're using to calculate the risk of my son having Down syndrome, then, you know, something is wrong here because I have hyperemesis and they're not taking that into account. Um, and at the end, we just decided, like, the hyperemesis, the tumor, um, and everything. We were like, okay, you know, we've just had enough. We're not going to do any more tests. Um, we know we're going to have him, so what's the point, right? We'll just mentally prepare ourselves for it and hope for the best. And funnily enough, um, a few months into my pregnancy, my husband, who's a school teacher, said that his colleague told him that she too had these tests and they all came out positive for Down syndrome. And her son was born and he was perfectly fine. He okay. didn't have Down syndrome. Um, so we thought, you know, there's no point in doing the test. We'll just. But when he, when my son was born and they heard that abnormality in his heartbeat, they went back to this, you know, does he have Down syndrome theory. So they brought in a Down syndrome specialist the next day um, into our hospital room and then she checked my son out and confirmed that he didn't have Down syndrome. And then we got to take him home. (laughs) And that was my pregnancy. Mm. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, we went home and um, we were just still into the pandemic. So we were in Norway. Our families couldn't visit. People who really wanted to help us, like our friends, um, we didn't really know what to do because we didn't want to put them at risk for COVID. They didn't want to put us at risk, and especially a newborn baby. Um, midwives were not visiting homes. Mm, I don't know yeah. if you guys have that in Australia, where yeah, we on, we only had like one one visit when you're supposed to have like three or four or something from our midwife because of COVID okay. as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think for a while during the peak of it they weren't doing home visits and even appointments I think people had to do like online via zoom or something um rather than go to the hospital yeah yeah so that was that was basically it because it was April 2020 and there was no testing yeah so much uncertainty at that time as well yeah yeah so much uncertainty there was no testing my son was born in April and I remember being really sick the whole of February with a really bad cold and cough and I may have had COVID and just not known it. Um, and March was when everything shut down. Um, and April was when he was born, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then so that time, just being isolated, um, worrying about your groceries and everything, and whether you were going to get it, whether your baby was going to get it. Um, that was tough, yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I can imagine. Sounds like you, yeah, you went through a lot in your pregnancy. I'm really sorry to hear firstly about your miscarriage before your pregnancy. That's so hard. Uh, And to find out at that 12-week 
scan, that would have been really hard for you. And with your hyperemesis as well, I know that that's a really, really challenging thing for so many people to go through in their pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I mean, despite that, I still, it was, it's funny to say this, but I was so afraid to have a child. Mm. And then I, you know, had all this and now I'm thinking I would have another one. Mm. Um, especially because, you know, brought, Michael just brought us so much joy and, you know, a child changes your life so much. And I probably wouldn't do it if we were still living in Norway, uh, just because it would mean so much more to have family, um, especially one of our parents close by. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. 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 Mm. And it's just a lot of women do go through hyper like it's I think ten percent of women yeah. Yeah. Um, have it and But to have yeah. it your whole pregnancy, that's um I think that's that's even rarer. Like a lot of people I think it eases up about somewhere in the second trimester. So yeah, that would have been Yeah. Really, my really cousin cool. had it too. So I don't know mm. yeah, I mean we have a really big family, but um so mm. Yeah. There's like eight on my mom's side, eight kids on my dad's side, and wow. so we're like, I have like thirty-two cousins, but of oh our, my gosh. <laughs> the thirty-two cousins, like me and just one other, and she had the exact same experience as me. Like she just, yeah, um, lost weight, and she like we lost. We're probably the only people who like lose weight during a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But and then all those like ideas of what 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 to eat you know what's good to eat during a pregnancy what's not good like everything's out the window yeah like whatever stays down it's so hard yeah <laughs> yeah yeah wow yeah yeah and so can you tell us about your experience of your postpartum period then and how you kind of delved into this a little bit but you know your your mom your family couldn't come and visit you how did that experience go when when could they come over and meet Michael so it was a very long time before they could come over they they never did end up coming to Norway um so postpartum yeah I think I said it was mainly mainly in isolation so my husband was um he's a naturally anxious person so this was like a whole new level of anxiety for him because he had to look after me and his son and keep us safe and he did a really good job. Um, the sleep deprivation was probably the worst because my son was not a good sleeper. Um, and breastfeeding was difficult, but I think I knew it was so important to get it done. And I was so glad I was able to in the end because of COVID and just him having those that immunity. Um, but I remember it being quite a big challenge, like just having a lot of blockages, um blisters bites a bit later on but um yeah and if he he wouldn't take the bottle at all and I found out later he was allergic to milk so that's why he couldn't have formula the only formula he could have was like it was super expensive it was like 60 US dollars a 10 and how long does um, it last um I, I don't know because we didn't mm. even get through half because he True, wouldn't he yeah. wouldn't take it yeah. um so I either had to breastfeed him and he would like breastfeed like every he was like a monster he was eating like <laughs> crazy mm-hmm. and um like day and night like every two hours and I would 
when I, when he started solid foods I think it was like I started him pretty early like eight or ten months because I was really desperate I was exhausted um because even if you pump it's it's more exhausting because you have to pump and then sterilize everything and after you're done all of that they're awake again so at least when you're breastfeeding you can sleep a little bit when <laughs> they're asleep um, and yeah but my husband was working from home he's a teacher so that really helped a lot actually because of the pandemic which meant he could do that otherwise he would have had to go back to work after two mm. weeks um so he was doing lessons from home and recording things and was able to help me out a lot during the day mm. um and then i think the pandemic was kind of i think the end of 2021 it was getting better in most parts of the world but australia and new zealand was still really strict compared to the rest of the world so so my parents really couldn't come visit and it was not also not affordable because they would have had to quarantine yeah, when they so went expensive. back home yeah yeah and the quarantine Those hotels was so expensive yeah yeah they were expensive and you can't get that much time off work either mm. so they just couldn't do it um and we mm. didn't want them to you know it just wasn't worth it um yeah. and then mm. i um, so I went back to work after eight months because we get eight months of leave and then my husband was on paternity leave for six months after that so when he was on paternity leave I was at work I was in the lab um, back to doing my my fellowship and um, so in Norway you're allowed to breastfeed your child um, two, two hours a day and so he would bring my son in during lunchtime and I was also allowed to either come into work late or leave early uh, so that was great. Mm, um, and then I was still breastfeeding him all night because I was having trouble sleep training him and I was just too exhausted to like wean him off. Um, but I had an opportunity to go to Boston tr- um, to do some work in um, related to what I was doing in Norway. So we moved to, we were supposed to move in, I think it was the end of 2021. But because of the pandemic, it got delayed. So we moved in March 2022. And that's when we were closer to my husband's family because they're in Canada. And um, my family then got to come from New Zealand. So they visited us in Boston. And um, yeah, it was great. They had a great time. Um, We were living in a really beautiful area um, where there was like a plate. We lived in the really run down apartment but there was a beautiful playground opposite from us um boston's really expensive like mm. super expensive which mm. is why we didn't you know continue to stay there um like just renting an apartment is like on average three thousand dollars a month and wow. daycare is about the same about yeah. three thousand a month so um wow. we didn't stay but my family visited from new zealand and they met michael when he was two years old so they came for his second birthday mm. And then my husband's family was the same. They came from Canada around the same time. So it was two years before any family members met him. Oh, really? Oh, even yeah. your, um, yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because huge. they knew we were going to move to Boston. Um, so they figured there was no point in taking that risk because, you know, even them coming over, flying from Canada, for example, which they, you know, at that time, Canadians could, um, but you know they would have to test um and then when they came in if they tested positive um what would they do 
Um, and then my son, you know, babies weren't getting vaccinated. So what would happen with him? And no one wanted to take that risk. No one wanted to be yeah. the person that brought COVID into the house with a, with totally. an infant, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I get that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So we actually went to Canada for Christmas, I think, right before we moved to Boston. I think that was it. Yeah. And when we went back home to Norway, we got we all got COVID, my husband and I and my son. Uh, so my son was a year and a half when he had COVID. And that was not fun. Because <laughs> then we were back in our like home in Norway without any family. And now we were all sick with COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it got better. His immune system got better. And later we found out that my son was also an, um, had asthma. Mm-hmm. So when you have asthma and you have COVID or any kind of respiratory infection, you have to be super careful. And it comes with a bunch of other allergies. So he's allergic to all kinds of things like milk and eggs and soy and oh, wow. nuts and wow. berries. Oh my gosh, that's but, so hard. Yeah, but well, you get used to it. Mm. Um, he eats very healthy. Yeah, um, sure. and, um, and he loves it, so I'm very blessed. He's, you know, he loves it and he's a happy kid, so. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, mm. it's it, in hindsight, when I talk about it, it sounds like, whoa, so many things, but <laughs> I don't know, somehow you just, you know, get through it, and um, yeah, I think in the midst of it also, we, my, my husband and I both lost our grandparents in the same mm, week, I'm sorry. so we, mm. I lost my grandmother, and he lost his grandmother in the same week, mm. in weird coincidence, yeah, and wow. COVID also took two of my family members so my uncle and aunt mm. my dad's brother and sister oh, so, so it was so just kind of um yeah I think emotionally it really or I guess mentally it really didn't we didn't realize the toll all of it was taking on us yeah. the sleep deprivation and um and also on our relationship um because I think we were just so tired and when you have a kid it, it eventually kind of turns into um I'm, you're not doing enough. I'm, I'm doing too much. In, in hindsight, we were both doing too much. Um, mm. And now, like, and when you're in the midst of all of that, you can't really take care of your relationship. Um, you're so busy being a parent, and everyone says, oh, you know, don't fall into that trap. We are so busy being a parent. You forget to be a wife. You forget to be a husband. Um, go out and go on dates and. You know, but you're like, okay, we're in the midst of a pandemic. We don't have a babysitter. Exactly. You don't have family living close by. Like, there's so many factors there that are contributing. Yeah. Yeah. So hard. It's hard enough to find time to begin with, being a parent, regardless of a pandemic. But, yeah, so challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So that took a toll on us. And, yeah, I mean, to be honest, we, you know, we, we both, I go, I think I didn't realize how much of a toll it took on us until we moved to Boston and I was working at MIT there and it was just, it was a great experience, but it was just so high pressure um, because so much expectation and um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it, but the working environment was just a lot and 
it was a lot of pressure on my husband because he was at home with a toddler and we couldn't really afford to send him to daycare because it was like three thousand dollars a month wow that's crazy so he was at home for say a year and a half no more than that from january 1st 2021 when i went back to work to september 2022 so a year and nine months And that's really hard for a guy because he wanted to go back to work. But he also wanted to support me in my career. Um, And he also wants to be a great dad, which he is. And, um, yeah, I think we just realized we had to make a decision to go closer to family and prioritize that over career and other things and uh, prioritize each other, like our relationship. So um, we both started to go to therapy, which we'd never really done, like, seriously before. And it's been, it's been really helpful, I think, yeah, to, to just face that stuff and deal with it instead of just burying it and trying to move on, which is what I normally do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Are you going to individual counsellors or as a couples kind of thing? Uh, both. Both. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. 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 Yeah, We're really lucky that they have the facility in Canada. So if you are a teacher, you have that option to get counselling. Great. Yeah. uh, For yourself and your family. So we decided to take advantage of that. So Um, good. Yeah. 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 Otherwise, it would be too expensive because Mm, we just moved here and he's working, but I'm still. You know, I'm not working yet, and mm-hmm. we've moved across. <laughs> we mm-hmm. decided in like we decided. I remember it was like August first that we were going to move. We were in Boston, uh, August first, twenty twenty two. We were like, okay, let's move to Canada, and we were in Boston. So we had to go back to Norway on August tenth, pack up our whole apartment, which we'd lived in for six years. Wow and move our entire life to Canada uh, um, September mid-September we were in Canada wow. so in a, in a month <laughs> in a month we went from Boston to Norway mm. to Canada like moved our whole life and just mm. quit I quit my I my contract was ending and I was starting a new contract for three years in Norway which I was also going to do part of it in Boston again and I quit on my first day <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. I went to my boss's office and I was like, I'm so sorry. I have to do this. And luckily, I have a really nice boss. Oh, so he lucky. completely understood. Yeah. Um, um, but I said, I'm so sorry. And I'm, uh, but yeah. I, have to, I have to leave. <laughs> I just have to do it. Yeah. And how long have you been in Canada now? Um, Nine months. Nine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a huge change. <laughs> so are Craig's parents very involved? Like, do they look after Michael a lot? How's that kind of work? Yeah, they're super helpful. Um, so we live, so because I'm legally blind too, and we live in a small town, I've never lived in a town where I haven't had like a bus service on my street. Because mm-hmm. I lived in Auckland, New Zealand, which is like, you, it's a city. And then Boston, of course, you know, great public transport. And then we lived in Norway in a city called Bergen, amazing public transport. Um, but here it's a small town <laughs> and everyone drives. 
and there's a little public transport but not much and so we had to move somewhere where there was great public transport for me so I could be mobile and a little independent but also um, close to my husband's family so his mom lives on the street parallel to us mm-hmm. which is great and his sister lives down the road from us like maybe five houses down mm-hmm. and his grandmother lives like four houses down like I think on the other side oh, so it's great and I don't drive so his mom and dad take my son to school every day yeah yeah um great. because the buses don't go that way so I have to um rely on them for that but once he starts like regular school then he'll just be down the street which is fine it's public school mm. um but he's only three so he's going to kind of um I guess it's daycare but it's like part of a school so um yeah so they help me a lot and then if we need like um babysitters we have <laughs> his mm. nieces and nephews because they're like 13 and 16 that oh, great. Down yep. the street. Perfect. <laughs> yeah so that's perfect so we have two aunts two uncles three grandparents because my husband's mom is remarried and like so all three grandparents are super helpful if we have to go to counseling you know they'll come over and look after Michael um yeah so it's oh, really great. great yeah huge difference yeah. Mm, yeah yeah awesome yeah yeah and can you tell us about your experience of being legally blind and how that impacts your how that's impacted your parenting journey so far yeah um I really I think it was I, I noticed it a lot less in the cities that I lived in because of public transport I could just take the bus or train or tram um here it's a bit different because even if I have to take the bus it's about a 15 to 20 minute walk to the bus stop and go somewhere down back and then it's often snowing in winter so it's not always ideal to um, do that so I have to really be reliant on somebody else to drive me which has really played on my mental health and was one of the main reasons I started therapy because I was so kind of stuck in between this like I I know this is great for Michael um, but I'm really struggling with not being independent um so in that sense it's a little bit hard and I'm still getting used to it um but it's summertime now so it's much better uh but what really did help me was I was a member of the blind foundation in New Zealand and also in Norway and now in Canada and so when I was um, part of the blind foundation in Canada the people there like they did so much stuff I mean, I went on a hike um, to this place called like the Priest Halpet, which is like a it's like a drop. I don't know if any if you've heard of it, but it's like a cliff. And we did this hike up this mountain, and it was like all visually impaired and completely blind people. Okay. So they did everything, and a lot of them had kids, like multiple kids, mm. and many of them were married to blind people as well, or visually impaired people. So I was able to ask them how they felt about having kids and how they coped and things like that. Um, And they were able to give me really good feedback and help me like build my confidence in um, being able to look after a child. Mm. So yeah, mainly I can't like drive, but I can do other things. Like if we're on the playground and stuff, I can see where he is and um, chase after him and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, um yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if I answered that question. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Mm, and I'd love to know what ways becoming a parent has influenced your self of sense, your sense <laughs> of self identity <laughs> and changed your social and professional life. I guess that's a, a big one because you've been moving around a lot. Yeah. Um, I think it's really, I mean, I didn't realize how much it changed me. I was, my mom realized it more when she was in Boston, I think, um, that I was like this maternal person (laughs) and my son was just like all over me and hugging me and like, I'd like, like I would play with kids and I babysat and stuff, but I was not as, I guess, maternal and cuddly and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think he's really changed me in that sense and in a in a good way. Um, I think you become really selfless and you don't mm. care about as many things as you used to, like the trivial stuff. Um, it's hard to it's hard to relate to people that don't have kids anymore. So my friends that don't have kids sometimes I find it harder and like as much as they mean well when they want to hang out and stuff like especially when Michael was younger that was difficult because you know you say you're going to meet at that time um but you never know what might happen you know you suddenly have a poop in the diaper when you're right out the door and you're half an hour late because you have to go back in we lived on the third floor and we had no elevator so up the stairs and down the stairs and up the stairs again um and um, yeah, so in that sense, I started to relate more to people that did have kids, or I guess they related more to me. Um, my work life, I was very afraid of that um, because I'm in academia and there's so much pressure to like, publish and um, work long hours in the labs and make discoveries and um, mentor students, all that kind of stuff. And I was just thinking, how am I going to do this? I was very, I feel like I was very lucky to be in Norway um, at that time because um, their attitude towards women and women having children, I find it was just so different. Um, there were people in New Zealand for sure that had kids, but no, I, I didn't know of any PhD students in New Zealand that had kids. But in Norway, it was such a normal thing mm, for you to yeah, have a child. Yeah. And a, a lot of people did that during their PhD on purpose because they thought that it was like the best time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I think also they were very, at least my boss was very flexible because he had four kids of his own and three grandchildren. <laughs> so when I told him I was pregnant, like he was like, I was expecting that, no problem at all. Like, you know, he was just so cool about it. And, um if you have to go pick up your child from like most people who had kids would leave like at around 3 30 or 3 because they had to pick up their kids from daycare and then people were very nice about like just doing the rest of the work from home or they didn't care so much about how many hours you worked more that got the work done um so that was the main thing and I was wondering how I would do like in terms of being tired because I was when I went back to work I was still breastfeeding at night and you know he was coming in during the day and I was exhausted but somehow your body just copes and you get through and I found that at during seminars which you have them a lot like meetings and talks during the week and I thought that I'd be the person who was kind of falling asleep in the audience because mm-hmm. I was so tired 
but um, a lot of the people in my group who had kids, um, they had between like one and three kids. Um, I think all the women in my group had kids except for me. I was the last one. And so I was very lucky because they said to me, don't be afraid. They were like, sometimes um, you need that because something switches and you suddenly just become super organized. And because you know you don't have as much time, you waste less time. Mm, so true. Um, yeah, and you just become more efficient at just focusing on it, not procrastinating and getting the job done. And that was, you know, couldn't have been more true. I didn't believe them quite that much at first, but um, they were definitely right. And I don't know whether my brain was really rewired, but I found that during presentations and things, I found my mind drifting a lot less. I used to be the kind of person who would like listen, start listening to a talk and then I'd get hooked onto something and like my thoughts would just kind of, um, what's it called? like you go down there's a rabbit hole and you're like wait what were they talking about again mm-hmm. <laughs> um but I just found myself being able to focus on what the person was saying being able to understand it and I found that really strange I was like I thought after I had my kid it would be the opposite um but somehow you just find a way to become more efficient more focused and um, enjoy both your job and your time with your child the same yeah even though you're tired it's not like you're not tired but you still manage to do it mm-hmm. yeah 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 definitely you, yeah I can really yeah. resonate to that you just have to get the stuff done in the t- the allocated time that you have you're like okay I have about two hours now I've got to get all of this done <laughs> yeah then get back to yeah yeah yeah, and you realize that if it doesn't get done, it's not the mm. end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'd put in a lot of hours and like stay till like six or seven reading or trying to figure out something. And I noticed that often when I did that, I'd come back the next morning and realize, oh, you know what? Something I didn't notice and it was just a quick fix. And I stayed at work late trying to fix it, but I should have probably just gone home and rested and had a good night's sleep. And I think having a kid forces you to do that. You have to just go home and um, especially when they get to that age where they're like one and a half, two, two and a half, like they really know when you're not focused on them. So like if you're thinking about work, um, so you have to really stop thinking about work and that helps you at work. Yeah. If you know what I mean. <laughs> like, mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and how has your relationship with Craig changed since you've become parents together? Um, I think um, after my uh, miscarriage, we got a lot closer. So as, as sad as the whole process was, I think we both realized that it brought us so much closer, the whole process. Um. And that's when our relationship first started to change, I think. But during the pandemic, um, he was just, he was such a great dad. He, he did so much. and um, But I think once he was on paternity leave and I was back at work, um, that's when things started to get hard because he was with this one-year-old all day I think, and they're kind of at the stage where they're like not running about yet as like steadily um 
so you kind of really have to focus on them and they're exhausting and then there's nap time and nap time is exhausting because you have to really like put an effort into putting them to sleep our son was not a good sleeper um and then Craig was also in a new environment new culture um he didn't speak the language um there was no groups that you could take your kid to because it was COVID so he had to find a way to keep my son entertained all day while I was at work and um he didn't have his job to kind of have that focus or outlet that creative outlet as well um so I think that was really tough on us both and that really pulled us apart in a way um our relationship kind of became more about being parents and live co co cohabitating I guess um then about being husband and wife we forgot that quite a bit in the whole process um my son when I was trying to sleep train him I hurt my wrist you know taking him in and out of the crib and I got this thing called I think it's called mama's wrist yeah and I had to wear a brace um and so I really couldn't continue to sleep train him so he ended up you know in my bed after a while and um people in Norway you know they thought he was that was fine because he was big enough at that point and we had a big enough bed and he was safe and I was safe but it was just easier to breastfeed him at night and so um it didn't make any sense that both of us were exhausted so my husband moved into my son's room and my son and I were in my husband in my room and it just you know we thought just for now just until my hand heals my son got stuck in my bed um, and that just kind of continued. We just, you know, got used to living that way because it was easier. Um, and it was just, you know, we didn't realize we were growing apart until we had grown apart. And so we had to now start to find our way back together. Um, and I think that's what therapy helps with because that was hard for us to do on our own because even though we made a decision to move to Canada um, I think I still found it hard I still do find it hard to leave my job because especially as a person that's like legally blind and an immigrant um like sort of like India to New Zealand, New Zealand to Norway. Um, I felt like I had worked really hard to get like Norway to Boston, and now finally I was at this place where I was about to like launch into my career, and I thought I got to choose because this career is going to cost me my family, like because I'm going to miss out on a lot if I go down this path. It's going to be long hours, grant writing, stress, publishing, and I could do it. But I knew I was going to miss out on my son growing up and all that time. Because I would only come home in time for like supper and bedtime. <laughs> because that's, that's how my life was. And then I thought, you know, no, this is the right decision to make. You know, go there, we'll start over and I'll find another job and I'll find something else. And I'll never regret it. I'll regret it. I'll regret looking back and missing out on my son. But I, you know, won't regret looking back and missing out on my career um so I'm trying to focus more on all the stuff that I didn't like about my job 
<laughs> but I do miss all the stuff that I did love about my job. Yeah, just being in the lab and the the research and um, that's that's been a little bit harder here because there is a university here, but they're more focused on different kinds of research than the one I was doing. And the technology that I was using in Norway and in Boston is very different from the technology available, you know, on an island on the east coast of Canada. So I was trained to do all this stuff, and but I can't do it with all, all the equipment. Um, so I think in that sense, um, I'm still struggling, but I'm, it's, an, it's an everyday process to remind myself that um, you know that I'm not going to have this, th- that stress and that I'm having this amazing time with my son. And that I get to like, even though I don't have a job right now, I get to see him every day. Um, he goes to school for five hours a day, but he's on summer break right now. And we've just been having fun, you know, cooking and playing together. And um, I would never have been able to do that if I was working. Like, and I'm just so grateful because I would have missed out on all of this. And they're so fun at this age, like two and three. They're developing a personality and they're talking. Yeah, and totally. So yeah. cute. It's like, Mom, you're my best friend. You know? And I'm just like, oh. And, I, you know, I, that probably wouldn't happen as much if he was only seeing me at supper time and, yeah. and then, you know, for bedtime. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And you're so exhausted on the weekend too. <laughs> um, and I know so many moms have to do that. Um, and I probably will soon too. Um, so I'm enjoying that time while I can, mm. but um, yeah, it's definitely a different life. <laughs> mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I miss my family because I I love my my husband's family. They're so they're all super nice, super supportive. Um, uh, they just they are yeah they're they're amazing. My mother-in-law came over today and just took us into town and showed me how to use the bus with my son you know up and down from our house and this is amazing um we have um play date tomorrow and you know she'll she's gonna you know help me by bringing some snacks over and I was like that's so nice um but it's different when you don't see your own family too like I haven't I've seen my parents twice I think in the last seven years Wow. Just because of the pandemic and everything. Um, so hard. And that's, I think that's, that's difficult because when I left New Zealand, I didn't think that I was going to leave and be leaving my parents for good and not seeing them on a regular basis. Um, they won't be able to see their first grandchild and only grandchild on a regular basis. So that mm. kind of does make me feel bad because I you know they moved from India to New Zealand quite a lot for me so that I would have a better life and now I've moved to Canada and so far away from them um so that does kind of weigh on me a little bit yeah 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 it's so challenging 
Mm. Yeah, but you ha- you know you can't have everything, so I think you have to focus on yeah the good parts. Um, yeah. 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 That's such a good outlook to have to think about the positives yeah. in the situation. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Okay. So as a final question to wrap us up, I would love to know if you could go back in time and offer some advice or comfort to your new parent self, what would you say? To my new parent self, I would probably say, I think it sounds so cliche, but try to be in the moment and remember things. Because sometimes I look back at photos of when Michael was younger and I was just so stressed and so tired, worrying about him like sleeping and how long he was sleeping, how much he was eating and whether he was growing enough and I was so focused on that stuff and my mom told me over and over again you know like don't worry about that stuff (laughs) things work out and just focus on enjoying him um oh yeah I think I would tell myself just enjoy it more and be in the moment more because uh it goes by so quickly again to just be cliche but it does really and I'm getting the chance to do that now um yeah and just to not worry about the little things um like how are you going to manage with money or with finances or like in your career like um that yeah that it will it will work out um and that you can you have more strength than you think you have like I know a lot of people um, worry about, you know, being able to manage with the kids, like what will happen with my career or everyone, you know, says to you, your life is finished when you have kids, like you won't be able to go out in the evenings and like, it does change a lot, but there's so much good in it as well that you no one I I guess you don't talk about that as much um I yeah like I just wouldn't give it up for I I I was so afraid like I did not want to have children and now I'm like I said I'm on the other side that I would have another one even though it would mean that I would be nauseous and throwing up Mm. (laughs) through my pregnancy um you know, given that I'm closer to family, it will be easier if I ever decided to have another kid. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I would tell myself just to, to trust in that more, trust in that you'll be, you'll be fine. You'll be able to give birth and, you know, it's not as, I think I was so focused on the giving birth part I was just like that's going to be really hard you know <laughs> yeah. pushing a baby out of yourself like, it was going to be really really hard I just did not realize that that was going to be the easiest part <laughs> like the pregnancy was the hardest and the after was the hardest but um yeah and I think also like to worry less about making the right decisions um I used to be a person that had so much faith, like, 
I would just, you know, pray about everything and have try to have peace about it before I did something and not think as logically rather than like, you know, predict what's going to happen. I would just like, that's okay. I'm, I'm here for a reason. Um, and I think I've forgotten that a lot in the process of just being a mom because I haven't been able to just sit down and think and write and paint and do all the creative stuff I used to do. Um, and I'm coming back to that now. Um, just being able to say, you know, you're here in Canada for a reason. Don't think about, you know, what if I would have stayed in Boston? What if I would have stayed in Norway? What if I had moved back to New Zealand? Um, yeah, just know that wherever you are, there's a purpose for you. And, um, yeah, not to sort of think back on the what if so much. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm, no, it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, Stacey, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today and taking the time to share your gorgeous story with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, yeah, I hope it makes sense or helps yeah, somebody. Absolutely. I think that was the main reason yeah. I agreed to do it because I, yeah, I feel like people don't talk about it so much. And yes yeah Mm, we're so focused on like being that picture perfect mom like you know on the Mm -hmm. side of the diaper wrapper if you want (laughs) yes yeah and nobody's like that nobody's like that and I wish they'd stop having those pictures I know yes yeah (laughs) even if we kind of perceive that everyone else must be doing it perfectly it's like parenting so bloody hard so yeah that's the main reason I wanted to create the podcast is for a space to kind of normalize those differences that we all experience and the challenges because there is inevitably so many when it comes to parenting yeah yeah and Mm. people don't see a lot like I'm wearing a a top that I just changed into and Mm. I'm just wearing like my pajama bottoms Mm -hmm. with you know food from my son (laughs) that I just fed supper on Um, nobody sees that but (laughs) (laughs) yeah top up looks nice that's all that matters I'm wearing my trackers on the bottom too (laughs) yeah Yeah, so good yeah oh thanks so much Stacey yeah Mm -hmm. thank you for having me yeah it was really nice to meet you in person as well yeah thanks for doing the podcast it's been really nice to listen to them yeah oh I'm so glad thank you thanks for listening Sharing our stories is such a meaningful way to connect with ourselves and others, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Follow us on Instagram at Definitely Baby Podcast for photos of our weekly guests, updates, or to share your own story. I'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate the podcast, or share with a friend. It really helps us to grow and help other parents feel more supported by these beautiful stories. I'll see you next week for another lovely episode.